You're listening to A Light at the Other Side, where we're sharing stories of resilience, healing, and hope. We share the experiences of adoptees, domestic violence survivors, military veterans, and more, so some episodes may contain potentially triggering accounts of trauma. To fully appreciate the light, we must sometimes peer into the dark. On this episode, we're going to go back a little bit to the Jason Aldean controversy where he made the song about coming from a small town. I came from a small town, and Jason Aldean has no idea what he's talking about. I grew up in a town whose population has not, according to data I've found, ever broken 1,000 people. When I was in high school, the town population hovered around 840, and it has now dropped to under 500 people at last census. It's a smidge smaller than Macon, Georgia, I'd say. In fact, my town was so small, we didn't have our own high school, we shared it with the next tiny town over. On a two-lane highway that threaded through rural South Carolina with small towns dotting along it like the 10-cup pearl necklace, my high school sat between our little villages on an educational campus with the middle school, the football field right in the middle as the central social gathering place she was. My graduating people had 93 people, if I recall correctly. I'm not sure people in my hometown would know quite what to do with Jason Aldean if he were plunked down in the middle of a high school football game in 1998. Bedazzled jeans, tattoos, and who did he say his mama was again? Who is he related to? Nobody. If Mr. Aldean strutted into our little town, he'd find himself as much the outsider as those he's trying to threaten with his little jingle. Let me, let me tell you about my small town. In real life, not some slicked up Nashville version of someone's idea of a small town. Everybody knew everybody. When you're a teenager in a town like that, the only entertainment available to you may look pretty foreign to everybody else. One such phenomenon was cutting town. That is, you drove your car up and down Main Street or whatever street was the main drag of the town pausing at a designated parking lot on either end to drop off or pick up friends and then head out on another circuit. Meaning, if a boy hopped in your friend's car when cutting town, chances were your mama was going to know by the time you got home. It also meant if you were mean to somebody at school, your mama would find out and chances were you'd be punished for bullying or acting out. People were generally a little mistrustful of outsiders. After all, many of our town's residents were third, fourth, fifth, or even sixth generation. They had established farms, homes, church families, and a network of cousins who shared the surname that encompassed a solid percentage of the town population. I can't see the last name Cato or Falconberry without instantly connecting them to Kershaw, South Carolina, and specific names and faces immediately come to mind. If you didn't have one of those surnames, you may have to wait for the chill to subside to truly be accepted. While you may get snubbed for a while, however, it was rare for people to be outright mean. Even more rare, I literally cannot recall an incident for actual violence to erupt. Church dominated the social scene. Everyone went to church. It was just a matter of where. Are you Baptist, Methodist, or Presbyterian was the question, not do you go to church. Churches hosted youth groups and youth summer camps that kept most of us adolescents safely in some fellowship hall or another for a lot of our spare time. The overwhelming message we got in those rooms was love. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. 20 years later, 
Pastors in small towns preach politics from the pulpit, planting seeds of discrimination, distrust, even hate. Being different was difficult. I'm not going to sugarcoat things and pretend living in a small town was a cakewalk. The only thing different about me was the way I thought, so I was pretty frequently just regarded as weird. I did have the bonus of being white and from a respected family, so the teasing and ostracization I received was minimal. That was not the case with some of my classmates who were black, gay, lesbian, or simply too artsy. I'm not here to pretend any of them had a lovely experience in our small town. Outside forces have destroyed small towns far more than any residents. We're talking Walmart, Amazon, and conservative politicians who have routinely gutted funding for education and failed to protect family-owned agricultural resources. In the deep void of consistent quality employment and opportunities, drugs have moved in. Almost every single small town in America now struggles with some form of drug invasion, mostly meth. When a young person graduates high school with no plans for college and finds little in the way of local employment that offers a living wage, it's not long before desperation sets in. Drugs are way cheaper and more widely available than therapy, jobs programs, or higher education in these rural communities. Conservative media has targeted these communities for indoctrination and propaganda for over two decades. Instead of owning their responsibility and failing to protect small businesses against behemoths like Walmart and failing to appropriately fund education and infrastructure, Republican politicians have instead leaned on the conservative media machine's rhetoric and fear-mongering to make small-town residents feel that immigrants, gays, and liberals are to blame for their woes, when these politicians actually need look no further than the mirror to ac accurately place that blame. Conservative media propaganda plus poverty and lack of resources equals ripe breeding ground for hate, distrust, and misplaced anger. I am not saying that anyone that wasn't white and Christian had the best experience in small towns back in my day, but persistent, consistent, and targeted conservative media propaganda has vastly deepened and widened the gap between right and left in these small towns, causing neighbors to hate neighbors when such ideological differences may have formerly been settled with a cordial chat over the fence or a respectful discussion over coffee at the Hardee's. This media machine has told us that if we don't understand someone, we have to hate them and distrust them. It has taught us that we are always right and they are always wrong. And further, they are actively seeking to destroy us and our way of life. It's easier to yell, for example, that immigrants are taking your jobs rather than acknowledging the conservative politicians you voted for failed to prevent the exodus of jobs from your county and then failed to initiate incentives to attract new employers and manufacturers. They simply left you in the dust but you'll vote for them again in two years. They can count on you for that. Violence against minorities was on its way out at the turn of the century. I distinctly remember seeing a flyer for a KKK meeting my freshman year of high school. That was 1996. I can't recall the details, but I do remember this. When it was discovered, it was destroyed immediately. While there were whispers and rumors of an active KKK group still meeting in the county, this behavior was shamed and called out for being embarrassing to the overall reputation of our town. That's not who we are. I recall someone, a white adult, saying. Therefore, if insinuations of violence against people of color is happening in my small town now, it would mean an enormous turning back of the clock and regression in behavior and mindset of these citizens, which would obviously be wildly disappointing and also point to outside influence 
like this Jason Aldean song itself. Fighting against this propaganda and insidious messaging is exhausting and draining, causing most people of the liberal persuasion to leave rather than fight it. I know an amazing guy, a high school classmate, who agrees with a lot of my beliefs from an ideological standpoint, and he's currently living in our small town, raising his children, establishing his home, even operating a small business. He believes in our little town so much it's inspiring to witness. He knows the challenges, and he chooses to love the people even if he doesn't love their rhetoric. Not all of us have the patience, the emotional and mental bandwidth, or honestly, the capacity to manage the vitriol slung at us as liberals day after day, year after year. Meaning, of course, there's been a mass exodus of people who lean progressive Democrat or simply not party line Republican. So the re representation of progressive ideals has dwindled to almost nothing. This leaves a dangerous breeding ground to sow wild far-right seeds of discord, hate, mistrust, and massive amounts of blatantly false information. When your small town has become an echo chamber, no one wins. Small towns are filled with people just trying to survive. Some of them are farmers or engaged in some form of agricultural work. Some inherited properties and can't afford to leave. Some simply love the slower pace of life, quiet nights on the back porch with cicadas and tree frogs serenading you through a twinkling backdrop of lightning bugs, and the lower price of land making buying more than one acre actually feasible for a family. Because of all this, it's all the more repugnant and morally disingenuous to target this particular demographic with aggressive, constant messages of division, hate, and yeah, violence. This rhetoric made hundreds of men and women from small towns pack up their guns and flags and drive to Washington, D.C. to attack our very heart of democracy on January 6th. This rhetoric has made mothers and fathers reject their gay children and torn families apart. This rhetoric has caused parents to oust their liberal children, regardless of sexuality, and deepen family divides to the point of no return. This rhetoric, ironically from the party of family values, has destroyed countless families in a way not seen since the deep family divides experienced during the Civil War. Songs like this are destroying us, like a cancer. Jason Aldean has no clue what he's talking about fundamentally. That's proven in the line of the song where he references a carjacking at a red light and rednecks everywhere said a red light as if our tiny towns had an actual traffic light that did anything but blink a slow yellow around a dangerous curve in the road. Most people did little more than slow down through our towns. There wasn't a need to manage traffic with a whole stoplight. He further indicates his lack of knowledge about the spirit of small towns when he assumes everyone agrees with his thinly veiled message of hate and violence. He has the audacity to think he can pander to people he believes are stupid enough to fall in line with this presumptive nonsense. I'm from a small town, and I don't agree. I know that many of my friends and classmates from that small town also don't agree. We don't like being represented as a bunch of violent, racist hillbillies simply because we live or at one point lived a rural existence. If you're from a small town in rural America and you don't agree with this song, say so. The only thing that's going to counter and stop this aggressive invasion of carcinogenic propaganda is good people of rural America putting their foot down and saying, you don't represent me. You don't speak for me. Take the next step. Be bold and be brave. Fly your rainbow flag from the front porch of your farmhouse. Embrace newcomers with warm greetings and an invitation to the covered dish dinner. Muster your courage and politely counter the rhetoric you're hearing at church, at the hardware store, at the Friday night football game. Share this article on your social media.
or this podcast, as it were. One by one, voice by voice, small town residents can make it known that we are not going to be personified as racist, violent thugs, that our identity lies not in what party we vote for, but in how we treat one another and how we build our communities and invest our time and energy to forward progress, building a more unified town, county, state, and nation. As Emmanuel Cleaver said, there is more power in unity than in division. So I know this uh, song isn't particularly timely anymore. It's faded out of the news cycle as these things do um, so quickly, <laughs> it seems. But at the time, it, it really caused a stir. And being someone who came from an, a very small town in South Carolina, which already has problematic politics, um, the song really struck me and it, it, it offended me. And I don't use that word a lot, genuinely. But it was offensive. It was offensive to the people that I met growing up in that small town. So in the mid-90s, when we moved to this very, very tiny town in the middle of nowhere, I was about to go in eighth grade, and we had moved from a little more of a suburban area and a larger school and... Um, it was pretty devastating for me to think about moving away from my friends and in the community that I was accustomed to. But it was a, a bit of a second layer of shock to move somewhere that was such a small town. We had lived in um, a pretty small uh, town before, but nothing like 800 people. <laughs> it's a microcosm. Um, so there was a lot to be nervous about. And when you move to that area and you're the new kid in school, being the new kid in the school that only has a couple hundred kids is a big deal. You stand out a lot more. These kids have been going to school together since kindergarten, all of them. So a new kid is a big deal. So it was rough. It was pretty rough. And part of what was so frustrating is that from the very first day I was identified uh, not by my name or by any um, aspect of what was me, but as the preacher's kid. So from day one of eighth grade, I distinctly remember one of my teachers uh, reading my name out and then lifting her head and looking at me and said, oh, you're the new preacher's kid. And there I was. So from then on, I was uh, pretty much labeled as the preacher's kid. So that sort of benefited me in some ways. Um, Sometimes when I would uh, speed, because as a teenager, I did have a little bit of a lead foot, so I'd get caught speeding. But you know what? Driving on those country roads, sometimes you kind of let it open up a little bit, right? With the radio on and the wind in your hair. I'm not advocating for irresponsible behavior here. Uh, but so I'd get pulled over. And as soon as they saw the last name on my license, they would say, oh, you preacher kid. And there it was. So uh, I got out of quite a few speeding tickets, I believe, because I was the preacher's kid. So the people that I met in that town through the 90s were some of the most amazing and genuine human beings. And, and a lot of these people I met at a very unexpected place, and that was the town's Baptist church. So my adopter was the pastor of the Methodist church the youth that went to the Methodist church were not at all interested in being in a youth group or engaging with one another 
basically at all. There are a few times that our parents would sort of force us or we'd go on a retreat that the church had paid for. But as a general rule, not all of us even liked each other or um, connected with one another at all. The kids that went to my adopter's church were sort of the party kids, to be quite honest. They were the kids that were partying on the weekends and drinking and all that kind of stuff. And they just had no interest in even pretending to be involved in church stuff. So a lot of times for that youth connection, because my adopters were very controlling with my social experiences, but church was okay. Church was, was something where I could, I could do that. So considering our church didn't have a very robust youth group, I started going down to the Baptist church. I would walk down, there was a little dirt alleyway that connected our churches. Uh, it was about two blocks of just a dirt alleyway between the churches. And I would walk down there and go to their youth group. And I met some of the best people, not just the other youth in the youth group, although they were absolutely amazing, but the adults in that church, for it to be a Southern Baptist church, were some of the most welcoming, non-judgmental, kind, caring adults I'd ever encountered in my life. The pastor's wife was the sort of youth leader. They had We had youth group at their home, at the Baptist preacher's home. And his wife, her name is Beth Johnson, is to this day one of the most amazing human beings I've ever encountered in my life. I don't know if she could just sense that I had been through some stuff and that I, and that I really had some darkness attached to me and maybe depression or, or just, just all everything that came from the trauma that I endured, but she immediately welcomed me with open arms, totally non-judgmental, totally kind, caring, compassionate, her influence is something that I believe shaped not only my adolescent years, but my very core beliefs about humanity in general. Along with Beth, there was Miss Lynn, who unfortunately has now passed on, but had the same spirit of caring, compassion, and unconditional acceptance. It didn't matter what crazy hairstyle we were wearing that week or maybe what color our hair was or what fashion statement we were trying to make. They were unfazed, unfazed, completely unconditional love and acceptance from those women. And I genuinely believe they saved my sanity throughout my adolescent years. At that point, by the time I was a teenager, I was well aware that what was going on and had gone on in my home was not normal and not okay, and that my home was not a safe space. Beth's home became a safe space. And this is a Southern Baptist preacher's wife that provided a safe space to adolescents in our community, adolescents of all kinds, of all colors, shapes, like whatever, whoever you were, you could walk in her home and feel safe and accepted. 
that didn't mean she put up with anything. Like, obviously she was, she was very much the adult in the room and there were rules and guidelines and structure, but overriding was the sense of love and acceptance that I had never personally experienced in my life, except from my adoptive grandparents. So to experience this love and acceptance from a woman who wasn't even related to me was, it was just really pivotal in making me look at how I treated people, how people treated me and how Christians should treat the people around them. That theme ran throughout that Baptist church under the leadership of her husband, Warren. This was a, a vision of Jesus Christ's example as lived through those two people. I have not before or since met Southern Baptist leaders who were that kind that compassionate, that offered that unconditional safe space within their home and within the walls of that church. I always felt deeply respected and deeply loved in that place. So when Jason Aldean comes out with this song about small towns, it was unbelievably disappointing to me on multiple levels, but primarily because that song set forth a caricature of small town residents that eliminates people like Warren and Beth Johnson. There is no room in Jason Aldean's small town for unconditional love from Christ to the people of the town and to new people coming into the town and people passing through the town. There's no space for kindness and love and compassion in Jason Aldean's version of a small town. That wasn't the version of a small town I experienced. Small towns have issues, sure. So do big cities. Big cities have extraordinary amounts of violence and drug use and, you know, crime from property crime all the way to violent crime. We all have different negative aspects to where we choose to live. But classifying small towns as purely racist, violent places is so, so disrespectful to all the people who live in those small towns, who have lived in those small towns throughout their lives and have been nothing but kind and welcoming and loving to people around them, newcomers and people passing through. It's so disrespectful to the actual spirit of what small towns are. Now, I haven't lived in a small town in 20 years, so I can't speak to what small towns are now. What I've seen from my personal small town is a little bit depressing in that most of us from my graduating class, well, I don't know if it's most, but a lot of us have moved away. We chose to leave the small town and go pursue our lives elsewhere. We went to college in other cities. We pursued careers in other cities. Some of us even live abroad at this point. So I can't speak to who is left in the small town and what they believe. I do have the friend that I talked about in my article 
is amazing and, and so inspirational to me because he stays and stays and stays through the Trump years, through all of the horrible negative rhetoric that I'm sure fills that town because it can be a conservative echo chamber. Um, and he simply lives a different example. He's a leader in the town. He has tried to save various businesses and recreational spaces in the town. He even bought one of the businesses in the town and is now running that business. He's raising kids in that town. And I admire him so much that he can just exist as this bastion of sort of uh, common sense and neutrality and kindness and love. And if someone from him, someone like him, can be born and bred in that town, then there's something to that. If there's people like the Johnsons that can be born and bred in small towns, there's something to that. There's something to the Christian people who follow and live the example of Jesus Christ within those small towns, who accept the stranger, who welcome them in, who love people unconditionally, and who place relationships and the value of humanity and individual people over political or even religious rhetoric. So I don't believe Jason Aldean is, is right at all. I think he's drastically wrong. I think there's way, way more love in small towns than we can account for without actually living there ourselves. I came from a small town and I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the people from my small town. Does that mean that I fundamentally agree with all of them? No, I don't. I don't agree with a lot of them and we are not aligned politically. Um, I think at this point, I'm probably not aligned politically with the vast majority of people from my hometown. But that doesn't mean that they're bad people. And it doesn't mean that if some stranger comes through, they're going to be violently attacked by the people of my town. That's just, that's not going to happen. So if you're from a small town, I'd love to hear your input and what your experience was like growing up in a small town, particularly if you kind of went against the grain a little bit, if you weren't particularly religious or if you weren't um, in alignment with the local politics, if you weren't super conservative, what experience did you have and has it changed for you over the years? Do you still live in a small town and have you noticed the behavior in conversations of your fellow townspeople changing throughout our changing political landscape over the last several years. You can always reach out to me, leave comments, leave comments on my Medium articles. I'd love to hear back from you and hear your stories on growing up in a small town and how did you feel about the Jason Aldean song? How did it make you feel? Did you feel like it was an accurate representation of your experience? Was it an accurate representation of your experience 20 years ago or your experience now? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thank you again for tuning in and I'll see you next week.